Today on the Forest City Church Podcast, teaching pastor Chad Brugman has part two of the series, Teach Us to Pray. In interest of full disclosure and church unity, which we're told in the scriptures is paramount to a healthy church, I am a Niners fan. I do not apologize for that. Uh, To all of you Bears fans, uh, I love you deeply with the love of Christ. I just don't like you today. I will like you again afterwards. You don't have to like me. You can walk out of the message. Someone does it every week that I preach. I'm used to it. I'm numb to it. Um, But in order to have church unity, we also got to have honesty. And so I I do want to do this as I I get started. Um, This is kind of weird. I don't know if it's weird or, or something cool between God and I, but every time I get up to preach, every weekend I preach wherever I'm at, uh, I just have this feeling of God's heart when I get in the room, when worship starts. I just, I just, and it's a different, almost a different feeling every time. And so I'm just throwing this out there and I don't even know what it means, but I just want to say this because everything in my faith, everything in my being feels this so deeply this morning as I was worshiping with you guys and we were worshiping together, I just felt the tender heart of God for you guys and a gentle heart. And he's so many different things. This is just two aspects of his character and his nature. But there is a tenderness and a gentleness of God that is in this room this morning. And I just pray that every single one of you here and anyone that will eventually be listening to this online or is listening live, you would just receive that, whatever that is for you, whatever you need. Gentlemen, I know those aren't the most masculine sounding words, tender, but masculinity is whatever God is. <laughs> so when I say there's a tender spirit of God in here, men, just receive it. You don't have to be tough here. This isn't your house. You're not the man of this house. You're the boy of this house. Isn't that freeing? I got a lot of responsibility as a dad with four kids, a lot of provision, a lot of things that I have to stress out about. When I come into this place, I am not the man of this house. I am the son. You are the daughters of this house. We get to rest. We get to rest. And and guess what? Our dad here doesn't stress out because he's got a lot of kids. He's all good. There's a gentleness, whatever that means. I would say more, but I don't even know what that means. I just feel there's a gentleness and a tenderness. And so lean into whatever it is, is going on in your life right now, where you just need the gentle, tender heart of God to come in and give you this peace that passes understanding. I'm going to jump right in because you guys know I overspeak. I'm really trying not to today as it's opening, opening week of football. I'm trying to honor that, but we're here for the Lord. So we're in week two of this series on prayer, and I listened to Eric's message this week, and he did such a good job. I learned some new things that I didn't know about our history, about prayer, um, and I learned and reaffirmed some things I've long known, and I just thought he did such an incredible job kicking it off, and I just want to pick up where he left off best I can. So what we're going to do for the next few weeks is we're just going to go through each of the stanzas, if you will, of the Lord's Prayer, one by one. And in week two, I, I, I get to, to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. You can also find it. Eric was in Luke last time. They're pretty much interchangeable. Jesus says in Matthew 6, chapter 9, verse 10, when he's given the Sermon on the Mountain, he gets into this section on prayer. He says, this then, for a city, is how you should pray. And here's what I'll I'll cover today. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we're covering today. But I wanna give you a disclaimer. I'm gonna spend the first 20 minutes or so not going over what's being said right there, if you guys can trust me with that. 
Because one of the things that we will see even today, but you see all throughout scripture, is what matters most to God about prayer is not our methods. There's methods to prayer for sure. I use methods, you use methods, but what matters most to God in prayer is not methods at all. That is just a means to a much greater end. What matters to God in prayer is motive. He is obsessed with human motive. You wanna know what pleases the heart of God? It's not methods, it's motives. And these people that he's addressing when he gives his Sermon on the Mount, then they didn't do it for bad reasons. It's what they had had modeled to him. It's what they thought was right, but they were obsessed with the method behind it. And they had these leaders who weren't close to the heart of God at the time called Pharisees and Sadducees, and they were the ones that prayed better than anyone, so they thought. The problem, though, and Jesus is going to confront it here, is while their methods look so pristine and they pray so eloquently and it's so impressive and it's given them so much clout and so much power and so much esteem amongst the people, their motives couldn't be farther off and Jesus is not having it. And so uh, I'm going to spend the first 20 minutes at least talking about motive more than method and then we will get into the implications based on our motives of what we just read. So... In January of 2020, not having a clue that I was about to have more free time than I've had in my whole adult life because this pandemic was going to hit a few weeks later. But in the first week of January 2020, I did something I had been wanting to do for several years. I signed up for a prayer school in Kansas City and obviously had to do it online. And it was uh, three nights in a row for three hours. So it was a nine hour course. And there was a pastor who was teaching it who I trusted his prayer life. He had been doing this a, a lot of decades. And so I sign up and I take this prayer class. And within the first 10 minutes of the first class, the first night, as he's just setting the stage for what we're going to be learning for these next three nights, he says this one-liner. And it's not going to sound incredibly profound uh, when I put it up on the screen here in a minute. It's not going to even be something you may not already know or not already assume. But I'm telling you, for the last over two years, this has been an absolute game changer to my, my prayer life. It has brought a vibrancy and it has brought an excitement and an intensity. And here's a big one, a consistency to my prayer life that I was needing at the time. And so I was like, when we are in a series on prayer, we have to talk about this. This was, this may not, you may not walk out of here like, whoa, but to me, as simple as what we're about to say sounds, it was a revelation to me. The pastor said this, he said, prayer is not getting God to do what you want him to do. He said, prayer is letting God form you. I'm going to say it again because I want this to sink in. I don't want to pass by it too fast. Prayer is not getting God to do what you want him to do. Prayer is letting God form you. Now, none of you would know this pastor, so I won't even say his name. You don't know or respect his prayer life. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring you another quote from someone who I think we could all to some degree respect her prayer life because historically we know how robust and strong of a prayer life she had. Mother Teresa said the same thing as his pastor just in her own words. She said, prayer is not a time to assert your own will. Prayer is a means of surrender. So when we're talking about motive and when we're talking about prayers that really matter, prayers that are effectual, prayers that are fervent, prayers that move the hand of God, prayers that bless the heart of God. It's one thing. We love prayers that move the hand of God. Everyone's like, teach me that. But what about prayers that bless the heart of God? 
I want that. The older I get, the more, the more uh, in tune I get in my walk with Jesus by his grace. Uh, more important, slowly but surely, I'm getting more interested in blessing the heart of God when I spend time with him than just moving his hand. And we'll talk about that in this series. There's a time to get God's hand to move. There's a time to call forth God's hand to move on his people's behalf. That's not a bad thing, but there's nothing richer and more sweeter. And listen to this, more forming to you than when you bless the heart of God in prayer. So prayer is ultimately about formation and it's about surrender. And as Eric said it so eloquently last week, if we're not careful what we accidentally end up doing often because we're human and because this world is chaotic is we start to approach prayer as something that's transactional. Transactional is not a part of our prayer. Prayer is wholly relational. When it becomes transactional, it starts to build a wall between us and God. And don't take my word for it. Let's just go to Jesus's teaching right now. Matthew chapter six I'm gonna read verses five through 13 and we'll eventually get to the crescendo, which is the verses I've been assigned for this weekend. But I want us to see the heart and the motive leading up to that. Um, Eric read a few of these in Luke 11 as well. So that some of this will be redundant, but that's on purpose. Jesus looks at this group of people and he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. That word hypocrite, right? It's a Greek word that we translate in our English word for actor. When you pray, you're not going for an Academy Award. God's not impressed with anything other. Please hear this. God is not impressed with anything other than when you bring the realest, truest self to your prayers. Everything else is a complete waste of space, words, and time. And God doesn't like to waste time, and you and I don't need to be wasting time, especially when we're in something as sacred and precious as prayer. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. There's no show to put on. I don't need you to impress anyone around you. I don't need you definitely to impress me. I'm already impressed with you. I wove you together in mother's womb. That's taken care of. You were fearfully and wonderfully made, church. You, you, You have no need to impress God when you come to him. He is impressed with you just like you, even though your kids can be ornery, are impressed with them from the minute they're born. Come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about? Something in you just instantly, it feels almost magical, right? It just changes the minute that baby comes out of the womb. There is a disposition of pride and protection and joy and excitement. When you see this little thing, even though it looks like an alien when it's born, it bears your image. And there's a powerful instantaneous soul lock and soul tie and link between father or mother and child when you see someone that bears your image and you're in charge of them. This is God to you. So he says, listen, don't be like the hypocrites. The worst thing you can do in prayer motivation wise is think you have to act at all. Just bring your fullest self. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues, these hypocrites, And on the street corners to what? Be seen by others. And then Jesus says this, truly I tell you, they have their reward in full. In other words, he says their transaction is complete because here's what they were rewarded with, esteem. Everyone thought because they could pray so much more eloquently and such greater, loftier prayers and they would do it on the street corners so everyone knew that they prayed more often than everyone else. So they started getting esteem. Humans love esteem, right? Who doesn't need a little good esteem sometimes? They got power from it. Man, we humans do not historically do well with power, do we? They got a bunch of power from it. They got clout from it. 
It eventually, for the Pharisees and Sadducees, it also helped them financially. It didn't hurt them there either. There were so many motives that were so far away from just coming to God and blessing the heart of God and moving the hand of God. And Jesus is confronting, he's like, there's their reward. It's earthly. People think that's the key to a happy life. People think that's the key to the full life. Everything, their fake prayers are getting them. But listen to me. He's like, there is a heavenly reward that I have for you that is so much better. But if you want that heavenly reward versus the earthly stuff, here's what I want you to do to guard your motives. He says, this next. When you pray for a city, go into your room. I think the King James says, go into your closet. That's where you guys heard the term prayer closet before. It says, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Listen to this. Here's why. Then your father, this is such a huge, beautiful promise, who sees what is done in secret where there's no reason to not do anything other than just bring your fullest, truest self, the good, the bad, and the ugly. What's done in secret, and I love this, will reward you. I don't know about you, but if God says he's got some rewards for us, I want them. That may sound selfish, egotistical, but I'm just telling you, if God gets joy out of rewarding his people, whatever his sovereign reward looks like, and I can't even fully come up here and say, and this is how he rewards you. There's too much sovereignty in God. And with sovereignty comes mystery. But here's what I know. If there is a reward that can only come from God, I covet it. I want it. And so God says, you really want to be rewarded by me, you get in a private place. There's nothing magical or mystical about your room or your closet. It's not a technicality here. It's, not a me- it's just God saying, you, you got to get undistracted and you got to get alone if you're going to pray powerful prayers that are going to form you. God's like, I can't form you if you don't have these moments where you can be brutally honest with me and then allow me in, your, in my presence to be brutally honest back with you. So, so I did this my whole life, my passion I know we're starting football today, but I will forever talk baseball because it's my passion my whole life. My passion was baseball. I grew up and I wasn't very good at many things. I was awful at school. Uh, I, I didn't until around junior high, high school, have a whole lot of friends. Wah, wah, wah. Don't feel bad for me. Life's good. Didn't have a lot of friends. I was a pretty lonely kid, but I was passionate about baseball. Wasn't the most self-disciplined kid, but for some reason, when it's something you love, man, discipline's there, right? And so I, I just eat, slept, and drank baseball. Growing up my whole life, I was a catcher my whole life, and I played it. And growing up in my early years, T-ball and then Little League, uh, I was super successful. I even got bumped up a league. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound like I'm bragging on myself for a while. We'll wrap it up at the end, and I promise you that's just gross. I'm not here to brag on myself. I didn't go pro. I didn't even do good in college, so there's nothing special here. I'm just saying I thrived as a kid at baseball, and it's just because I played more than everyone. I just outpracticed everyone. wasn't the most talented. I just, I just did. And then we moved out of California to Missouri because my dad changed jobs and I tried out for the freshman baseball team. And in my mind, I'm like, I got this in the bag because this, this is the only thing I do good. This is what I do. And I tried out for the baseball team and apparently they're uh, feeding them a little uh, better food in Missouri because those boys came to play. <laughs> and Chad had a rude awakening and I got there and it was one of the hardest, and it won't sound like a big deal to you, but it was one of the hardest things in my life because this was my passion. I didn't make the team my freshman year. And I was also looking for some friends because I just moved there. This is devastating. Again, I still, you can ask my parents, they, they remember what it was like. It was, I was just devastated. 
that I couldn't play baseball. And so here, here's what I just did. I, I, I whined like we do sometimes, and I felt sorry for myself for a few minutes. And then something in me, by God's grace, just rose up and said no. And so what I did the whole time they were playing real games is I found this thing called the batting cage. And I had this thing at home with a net called a tee. You think T-ball is just for T-ball players, uh-uh. The best players in the world. You won't see this when you watch the best players in the world on television, the White Sox, the Cubs, whoever. Well, this year, they're not some of the best players in the world. But they're, no, every pro, if you're a pro athlete, you're the best player on the planet. What you won't see in games is this, but you know what they'll see all off season? Something as simple and elementary as this, the T. Just over and over, boom, boom, boom. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of T's. And then they have this thing called soft toss. And it's just you and a friend and you just get someone uh, to throw up a baseball and you just hit it into the net, hit it into the net. You don't know where it went. You don't know if it had been a home run or if it would have been a little uh, ground out when you hit it. You just keep working on hitting in the net. And you know what you're developing and cultivating? You know what you're, here, here's the word. You know what you're forming when you're doing something as uninteresting as the T? You're forming muscle memory. If our soul and spirit is a muscle, let's just say for today it is. Muscles do two things really well. They grow really well and they atrophy really well, depending on how you use them. In this tea, there's nothing like it to create muscle memory and to create hand-eye coordination and to create discipline. And so while I didn't make the team, I was just thousands and thousands and thousands eventually of time. I was just hitting again off the tee, off the tee, off the tee. And then I got uh, in the high school because the PE teacher liked me. I, he started letting me in sometimes during PE to use the batting cages with the pitching machine. So now all of a sudden I could throw 70 mile an hour fastballs. I could throw 80 mile an hour fastballs. I just had to have someone putting them through there and I was starting to work on that. And, and here's the deal. No fans were there. No one had a clue I was doing it. Do you know what the batting cage was to me in baseball growing up? My secret place. And you know what was happening? It was cultivating muscle memory. And you know what I started doing just for fun at the end of my batting practice in the batting cages? Just for fun, I wanted to know what it would be like someday to be a pro, because in my mind, I was still going pro. I would turn it up to 90. Now I know they're even throwing up towards 100 nowadays, but back then 90 was like, if you threw 90, even in the pros, it was like, whoa. This was back in the early 90s. And so I would turn it up to 90 and most of the time I would just look like a fool. But what was happening is every now and then I would start connecting on the 90 or like an 85 because next to no one in high school at that time was even throwing 85. It was, it was high 70s, low 80s. And I'm hitting 85, I'm hitting 90. And you know what it's starting to do? eventually that I didn't even know at the time because I'm in my secret place letting this muscle memory be formed, it was starting to slow pitches down. Because it's amazing when you're, when you're behind closed doors and you're, you're swinging at 90, but then you get in a real game and he's pitching 78. It's amazing how confident you are. Everything starts to slow down. I, I say all of that to say this, and again, this is gonna sound like humble brag. Please hear my heart. Again, I didn't go pro. No one knows a word about me when it comes to baseball. Um, but by my senior year, I made the team my sophomore year, my junior year, I was playing varsity, starting varsity. By my senior year, I had won the MVP of our team. I had won district awards, I had won state awards. Didn't even make it my freshman year. Every reward 
that was so gratifying for me because I knew what it meant came from a private place before I ever did anything performance-wise in public. There were some rewards that followed just good old-fashioned getting alone in a secret place where there's no one cheering you on, there's no awards you can win for batting off a tee well, there's no awards they give for, for the most time spent in the batting cage. I'm telling you, other than my parents and a couple friends that would help throw to me, nobody knew what I was doing. And then all of a sudden, I came out of not making the team my freshman year to getting to play in some varsity games my sophomore year. And all my friends who made the team the freshman year were like, who are you? Where did this come from? And I wasn't old enough to articulate it at the time, but what I, what I, what I, what I knew was if you knew the, the, the sores I have on the palms of my hands because of how much I've swung this bat time after time, day after day, year after year, that by my senior year, there were so many awards that I was getting because of baseball and I'm starting to get scholarships because of baseball and it all had to do, this is what I want you to see, it all had to do with just simply being committed to the secret place, the batting cage. And I know this is a sports illustration and I do not apologize for it, but, but prayer is the batting cage to life. When I went on that field, we won sometimes just like you will in life and we lost plenty just like we will in life. But there was a confidence that I had that I was gonna get a hit every single time I went up there. There was a faith and a hope that I had that every, now we know the greatest players in the world only get a hit three out of 10 times. It's that kind of sport. You get a hit three out of 10 times in the pros, you're a hall of famer. But that didn't matter. A thousand percent of the time I went up there, I thought I'm getting a hit because there was so much muscle memory there. There was so much work there that brought so much confidence. And, and so if the batting cages is like our prayer life in real life, then when we step out of that secret place, it's like you're walking onto the field and now there are spectators. And now there are people watching. And listen to me, prayer because it is your muscle memory for your soul and spirit, it slows the game of life down. Isn't this life chaotic? We can be honest. This is why so many of our prayers on accident end up being so hyper-transactional and neurotic if we're not careful. I'm guilty of this. This isn't me saying this to you. I still fall into that trap where things are coming at us in life so fast that you just start getting into this transactional relationship with God. All your prayers are just trying to keep out of trouble and keep up and just have enough and just barely make it by. There is something about being a person of prayer who is so committed to the idea that it is forming you that when the hard times do come, there's a posture of confidence yeah, life's throwing me a 95 mile an hour fastball right now and that is hard to hit and hard to see, but I have put in the time. There is a muscle memory there to make contact with that thing, to make some things happen, to move some things around the bases, if you will. And you, some of you guys are like, please stop with the baseball analogies, but I love it that much. I just want you to hear my heart. Jesus said, when you go into your room, formation is happening. Surrender is happening. And can we have a real honest moment about prayer? Some of you might not like this, and I might sound anti-faith to some of you, but please know my heart. I, I try to be as faithful as much as anyone. This is faith is what pleases God. Prayer is such an odd thing when it comes to answers, is it not? Can we just be honest? God's sovereign hand assures that there is going to be mystery behind how he answers our prayers. Rarely does he answer prayer in the time frame we wish he would. 
And that can create some incredible doubts and some incredible mind games, especially when you're desperate for answered prayers. I'm just going off my track record and all the track record of people I've watched that are faithfully praying for things. And here's what's even crazy. A bunch of our prayers get the answer we don't want. I had dinner with my buddy Walt last night and he told me some of his story uh, about decades ago when they lost a child, 18 months old. Can you imagine that, parents? 18 month old and you're having to say your last goodbyes to your child. They had hundreds, if not thousands of people praying for the healing of that child, right? Faith-filled people believing for the healing of that child. Now, do we ultimately believe that child was healed? Is that child doing better than all of us right now? You better believe it. But what do you do when all of a sudden you take that child off life support and you say your goodbye and now you have to go back to that God who had thousands of people kindly asking him to do a miracle and his miracle was heaven and not healing here on earth. Thank God prayer is ultimately not about getting God to do what we want to do. Thank God prayer is ultimately about letting him form us. Thank God prayer is ultimately about surrender. If not, we would be being driven crazy by God because of how he chooses to say. Some, we know he says yes sometimes. We so he says no sometimes. We know he says slow sometimes, right? It's always yes, no, or not yet. But Walt would go on to tell me last night at dinner all of the amazing things that have happened in his life because of the horrific thing. Now, we both agreed theologically, if you're new to church, none of us, we, neither of us believe God said, Walt, so amazing things can happen in your life. I'm gonna take that child from you. God wasn't the author of that. That's the work of the enemy. Death is a work of the enemy. The enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But what we know from Romans 12 is that while the enemy's doing some of his finest work, God is always trumping him and doing much better work because no matter what happens in this lifetime, I will take all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, and I will work it out for the good of you who is in Christ Jesus. And Walt just started telling me all the blessings that came out of a horrific and dark season where his prayers weren't answered the way he wanted them to be answered. All of the formation that happened because he faithfully walked through that tragedy and kept holding on to Christ, kept getting in that prayer closet to Christ, kept weeping, even when they were tears of, God, who are you? Why would you do this to me? Why did you take my son? Do you know why God wasn't offended by those questions? Because he was bringing them to God in his secret place. And he wouldn't have known it back then at the time because grief is just too powerful. And for some of you that are currently really grieving, I just want to encourage you, God is forming something so deep in you and so beautiful in you and so righteous in you right now because of the horrific thing that God's enemy tried to take from you. Walt would end up adopting a girl. All he had ever wanted was a son. He had prayed for a son and he lost his son at 18 months old and they ended up adopting a girl who's now 29 years old and Walt had a friend challenge him one time and said, the way you dreamed of loving a son, I want you to three times love this new daughter that you've adopted better. And you should have heard him doting on his daughter of 29 years old last night with the joy of a father, just doting on her, the blessing she is, what she's meant to his life. How, although none of us are perfect fathers, he's tried to, be everything for her. This is the beauty of prayer. God's not a 
Santa Claus in the sky. God's not a cosmic vending machine where if you press the right numbers like the Pharisees and hypocrites thought they could, that, that, that he was entitled to give them what they had put in the little cosmic vending machine. God's not any of that stuff. God is a God saying, when you come to me, shut your door, pray in secret, and the prayer that is done in secret, I will reward And you gotta trust me with that sovereign reward. It may not even be what you hope or think it is, but I promise you when God rewards, your life gets better. It gets fuller. You start to walk into the person you were originally destined to be and there is no better life than when the truest you who God created in the womb starts to come out more and more. He goes on to say this. I gotta hurry, let's hurry. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like Chad does in sermons. (laughs) don't keep babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. I don't even think the pagans had bad motives, but you ever do that? You just, you're so intense. Life's coming at you. You're getting the 95 mile an hour fastballs coming at you so fast that you're just like praying neurotically. And you're just like, there's no peace. There's none of the fruits of God in that prayer time. He says, listen, you don't have to pray a bunch of many and eloquent words to be, to be like them. He says, here's the deal. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. That's, that's causing some trouble for what we're gonna preach on in a week or two when it says, give us this day our daily bread. It's like, well, then why do we even ask God for stuff? We'll, we'll tackle that. Please come back, bring a friend. But can I tell you, even in the last few stanzas of the Lord's prayers, their petitions, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Help us to forgive our debtors as we forgive those who have debts against us. Lead us not into temptation, deliver. Those are all requests to God for help. But you gotta understand this. Even the petitions to God are all about formation and surrender, not how he answers. Let me give you one example. It's my favorite, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Most of you have been to church for very long. You'll know it the minute I say it, right? Paul says this about prayer. But in everything for a city, by prayer and petition, ask God for stuff. And then here's a big one. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. We are getting invited to ask God for things. That's not ruining the relationship. Those, those type, it's just not a transaction. It's relational. But here's what he promises. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't go on to say anything that, that's going to technically happen when you ask God for certain things. He doesn't say how it's gonna be answered. Paul doesn't go on to say, and this is exactly what will happen. He doesn't say the prayers in this time frame will fall out of, of the sky and be given to you. Do you know what he says happens? Formation. He says, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, then what? The peace that passes understanding will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. King Solomon said, above all else, guard your heart. The so-called wisest man on earth, the Bible tells us. He said, above everything else in life, you have to guard not what's out here. You have to guard what's in here. When we pray, you are forming what's in here. And you are trusting God with what's out here. If you're like me, I do that backwards. God, I, I need you to do this out here. God, I need you to take care of this out here. God, fix this out here. And God in his loving kindness has so much patience with us in that because he understands what a crazy world this is. He came down here for, for some decades. He gets it. We have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. 
but I'm talking about effectual, fervent prayers that matter are prayers where you get in your closet and you don't pray every day to impress God. He, he's not impressed with, with how, to, how much you show up. He's impressed with motive. He's impressed with why you're there. And as soon as I answered the why question, it brought so much vitality to my prayer life. It brought so much new passion to my prayer life. There's still some days I'm human where I pray only because I know it's the right thing, not because I feel so holy and spiritual and want to. But there's so many more days now as I'm getting hold of this motive, as I've just decided I'm coming here to be formed. I'll talk to God about what I need. I'll talk to God and pray for my kids. I'll pray for my finances. I'll pray for the school year. I'll pray for all kinds. I, I pray for my fantasy football team. Some of you are gonna walk out on that. You just lost respect for me. Talk about transactional. I'll pray for anything, but here's what I know. The goal isn't how God answers me. The goal is what's forming in me. And over time, it's the long game, but at some point you get on the field of life and a few things start to happen. And the only thing you can come back to is, but if not for the grace of God, and it's just all that muscle memory you and I were developing. So now that we've talked about the motive, I can now get to the thing I was supposed to preach on the whole time. But I was like, if we don't have this talk, we lose power in what we read next. And I don't think you have to be super brilliant to get what's being taught here. Our Father. I felt the Father heart of God during worship today. And I came up and told you about it. And I was just giving you a few attributes. Gentle. Tender. See, here's, here's the problem when Jesus so often used this construct called father. There's so many ways to explain who God is. God is equally mother as he is father, by the way. God is as feminine as he is masculine. God is a spirit. God encompasses the whole human experience. You understand that? That's why the spirit in the Hebrew language is referred to in the feminine. God's as much feminine as masculine. But Jesus, because of the culture in there, fathers were everything. Everything rose and fell on the father's. So Jesus would come and say, God's a father. Everything rises actually and falls on him, except the difference is in the father you're about to pray to, this is what Jesus wanted them to start their prayers with. Nothing's more forming than this is knowing the character of God. You have a father, but here's the good news because some of you got bad dad baggage and I feel for you. I grew up with an incredible father, not perfect. I was blessed with an incredible father, but I still recognize his brokenness. We've talked about his. I still saw sin patterns in my father. There were still moments where we had some trouble and this was a good father. Some of you have horrible father experiences and so this is hard for you. But can I just, and I by faith hope that the Holy Spirit just gives you a reminded revelation of this. But your father in heaven is not broken. Therefore, there's zero selfishness that he brings to your prayer time. No matter how good of a dad I'm trying to be, there is a motive of selfishness in everything I do with my kids. And I, I wanna change that as much as I can, but on this side of eternity, that's just gonna be an, an exercise of trying to get a little better and a little better, but I will always on this side of eternity bring some brokenness to my children. There's no brokenness with your father in heaven. Why? It says in heaven, our father in heaven. Revelation tells us in heaven, there's no death. Well, no death, no more death. 
no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, for the old order of things will have passed away. That writer could have added a whole lot of other things. So I just wrote a few. In heaven, there's no fear. When you're talking to God, unlike your earthly father or mother, there's no fear attached to it. That's why his wisdom's perfect. And, and our parents' wisdom and my parent and me as a parent, my wisdom's a little broken is because there's always some fear in my answers to my kid attached to it. Even when I don't want to, there just is. Because I, I, I mean well, but this world's crazy. Heaven's not crazy. God's heart rate doesn't speed up ever. He doesn't get nervous beads of sweat. He knows the end from the beginning like I as an earthly father don't. So Jesus is forming us by saying, when you pray, you don't have to say a lot of words. Stop and recognize whose presence you're in. You have a father who is not broken. He's not insecure. There is no fear. There is no jealousy. There is no selfish motives. You have a father who has never sinned in his life. So there is no insecurity. There is no brokenness. That's who you are talking to right now. Acts 17 says, there is nothing under heaven with which God needs from you. Isn't that good news? He just wants things for you and he wants to spend time with you. But there is nothing the creator from heaven needs from you. If you give him back anything, Romans 12 tells us, it's a sacrifice of prayer. It's a spiritual act of worship. It's just an offering back to God out of gratitude to the God that needs nothing from you, right? So really when God says, when you pray, you don't have to say a lot of words because this prayer isn't real long. But, but marinate on what's being said. God, so much is going on in my life right now and in my heart, and I'm praying to the one who is flawless. Meet me in my flaws. I'm praying to the one who is sinless, God. Would you kindly meet me in my sin? I'm praying to the one with no brokenness, God. I'm here to talk about my brokenness again. Would you meet me here? And God's like, I, because I need nothing from you, have all the margin in the world to sit with you, my child. And as Paul said, here's the reward if nothing else, the peace that passes understanding gets you walking out of that batting cage, that prayer closet, that room, stronger than you walked in because your heart and your mind is guarded. Above all else, guard those things. This is the power of prayer. Our Father who's in heaven, and then it says, hallowed be your name. And, and I, I used to be intimidated by this part. Now I love this part. This is just saying, you're holy, God. I am not. You are set apart. You are altogether different than the rest of creation. You are creator, God. I say this every morning. I quote this in my prayer. I say, God, you are creator. I am creation. You're in heaven. I'm on earth. May I willfully and joyfully submit to that today. You are God, I am not. You are creator, I am creation. You're in heaven, I'm on earth. May I willfully and joyfully submit to that hierarchy today because you are good. In your holiness, in your perfection, where you meet my imperfection, you are good to me when I could deserve something bad. You are kind to me when I could have deserved punishment. You took that punishment hallowed be your name. You start to think about your father in heaven. You start to think what's going on in heaven, that that father in heaven is for you, not against you. All of a sudden, hallowing his name becomes an organic expression. 
When, when, when we come to praise and worship and those beautiful words on the screen aren't connecting with our hearts, I don't get angry as a pastor going, we need to worship better. I sometimes get grief because I'm like, we don't get how much God loves us yet. We, we don't fully get it yet because if we did, there would just be this exuberant expression of thanksgiving and praise and excitement. And it's not fake and it's not forced. It's just this, hallow your name, God. You have been so kind to me when I couldn't even be kind to myself. Chad, you have to wrap this up. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If God was just gonna supernaturally do that, formation wouldn't matter. But who are the vessels to bring heaven to earth? God's people. He'll split a sea every now and then, but even that's for what? God's people. And even then he wouldn't do that without using first a person. So God will, God will do miracles every now and then. We, every now and then you get that prayer answered immediately. Isn't that fun? But then the mistake is, okay, I, I finally got it right. How do I do that again? Method, 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 method. And God's like, no, no, no. I, I, I do what's best in every situation. That one called for an immediate response. But this one's not going to. And this one's, I'm actually gonna say no to. But I'm good and I'm in heaven and I'm your father. And I love you and I want what's best for you. So your will be done on earth as in heaven. This is why prayer is about formation and surrender because God's like, okay, I'm gonna answer that. That's my will, but it's gonna be done through you. So let's let the formation begin. And nothing forms you better, friends, than prayer. There's so many things that help form us. Prayer's not the only one, but on the pie chart of what forms us as humans, it's as big as it gets. The implications are as big as it gets. I want peace for every single person in this room. I want every single person in this room to prosper. I want every single one of us in this room to come under the graciousness and kindness of God. Prayer is just this beautiful secret place we've been given to let that happen. Last but not least, I promise, I promise, but this is the best part of today. There's a few of you at least in here, I'm quite certain, just because I know how these rooms work, that have never even had a relationship with just Jesus, who's everything, this Father in heaven, who wants nothing but the absolute best for you, who wants to, it's his joy to reward you, who wants this secret, intimate, authentic relationship with you. I wanna invite you to know him today. He's the best. I just say that as one of his kids. Our Father is the best. To those who know him, could you not say amen to that, right? Amen. We have the best Father. And some of you are missing out on that, not because you're any worse or less informed than us. It's not about that. It's just you've never been invited. How tragic. I just want to invite you as one of his kids who have tasted and seen how good the Lord is to let Jesus become the Lord of your life today. Bible says if you'll confess your sins, we're all sinners so that you're not confessing anything that's unique to you. We already talked, God's not scared of it. He already knows before you were even born. He went to the cross for every single sin you'd commit. But when you start to say, God, there's brokenness in me and I want healing, I want restoration, I want salvation. I, I'm being told that if I put my faith and trust in your finished work on the cross, I can have that. 
Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is the most important moment we have here today, church. If that's you and you say, there's something in my heart that's compelling me right now to know and to believe and to put my faith in this Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this, this one that I can start praying to and casting all my cares on because he cares for me. If that's you, would you just by faith right now raise your hand? This is a beautiful moment to God. Keep them up because I'm gonna be looking around now. I see that hand. Thank you so much. Praise God. I see that hand. Praise God. Keep them up because I'm taking my time. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you so much. So many hands today. I see you back there too. Thank you guys. Praise God. Jesus, we now pray blessing and salvation over these people. Fill them to overflowing with streams of living water, your Holy Spirit. We thank you for today. We thank you for the gift of today. Today is the day of salvation. God, fill them with your spirit. Cover them, protect them, affirm to them this decision they've made. And as they walk out of here, may they feel your tenderness towards them. May they feel your gentleness towards them. And may they walk out with a light burden and with an easy yoke. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And the church said, here's how we're ending every week. We are going to corporately pray this prayer of formation together. Simple way to end, so let's pray. It'll come up on the screens if you don't know it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Teaching Pastor Chad Brugman with part two of the series, Teach Us to Pray. Thanks for listening.